This is Chapter Six of A Horse's Tale. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Horse's Tale by Mark Twain. Chapter Six. Soldier Boy and the Mexican Plug. When did you come? Arrived at sundown. Where from? Salt Lake. Are you in the service? No. Trade. Pirate trade, I reckon. What do you know about it? I saw you when you came. I recognized your master. He is a bad sort. Trap robber, horse thief, squaw man, renegado. Hank Butters. I know him very well. Stole you, didn't he? Well, it amounted to that. I thought so. Where is his pard? He stopped at White Cloud's camp. He is another of the same stripe as Blake Haskins. They are laying for Buffalo Bill again, I guess. What is your name? Which one? Have you got more than one? I get a new one every time I'm stolen. I used to have an honest name, but that was early. I've forgotten it. Since then I've had thirteen aliases. Aliases? What is alias? A false name. Alias. It's a fine, large word, and is in my line. It has quite a learned and cerebrospinal incandescent sound. Are you educated? Well, no, I can't claim it. I can take down bars. I can distinguish oats from shoe-pegs. I can blaspheme a saddle-boil with a college-bred, and I know a few other things, not many. I have had no chance. I have always had to work. Besides, I am of low birth and no family. You speak my dialect like a native, but you are not a Mexican plug. You are a gentleman. I can see that, and educated, of course. Yes, I am of old family and not illiterate. I am a fossil. A witch? Fossil. The first horses were fossils. They date back two million years. Great sand and sagebrush! Do you mean it? Yes, it is true. The bones of my ancestors are held in reverence and worship even by men. They do not leave them exposed to the weather when they find them, but carry them three thousand miles and enshrine them in their temples of learning and worship them. It is wonderful. I knew you must be a person of distinction by your fine presence and courtly address, and by the fact that you are not subjected to the indignity of hobbles, like myself and the rest. Would you tell me your name? You have probably heard of it. Soldier Boy. What? The renowned? The illustrious? Even so. It takes my breath. Little did I dream that ever I should stand face to face with the possessor of that great name, Buffalo Bill's Horse known from the canadian border to the deserts of arizona and from the eastern marches of the great plains to the foothills of the sierra truly this is a memorable day you still serve the celebrated chief of scouts i am still his property but he has lent me from time to time to the most noble the most gracious the most excellent uh, her excellency catherine corporal-general seventh cavalry and flag-lieutenant ninth dragoons u s a on whom be peace amen did you say her excellency the same a spanish lady sweet blossom of a ducal house 
and truly a wonder, knowing everything, capable of everything, speaking all the languages, master of all sciences, a mind without horizons, a heart of gold, the glory of her race, on whom be peace. Amen! It is marvelous! Verily, I knew many things. She has taught me others. I am educated. I will tell you about her. I listen. I am enchanted. I will tell a plain tale, calmly, without excitement, without eloquence. When she had been here four or five weeks, she was already erudite in military things, and they made her an officer, a double officer. She rode the drill every day like any soldier, and she could take the bugle and direct the evolutions herself. Then, on a day, there was a grand race for prizes, none to enter but the children. Seventeen children entered, and she was the youngest. Three girls, fourteen boys, good riders all. It was a steeplechase, with four hurdles, all pretty high. The first prize was a most cunning half-grown silver bugle, and mighty pretty, with red silk cord and tassels. Buffalo Bill was very anxious, for he had taught her to ride, and he did most dearly want her to win that race, for the glory of it. So he wanted her to ride me, but she wouldn't. And she reproached him, and said it was unfair and unright and taking advantage, for what horse in this post, or any other, could stand a chance against me? And she was very severe with him, and said, You ought to be ashamed. You are proposing to me conduct unbecoming an officer and a gentleman. So he just tossed her up in the air about thirty feet, and caught her as she came down, and said he was ashamed, and put up his handkerchief and pretended to cry, which nearly broke her heart, and she petted him, and begged him to forgive her, and said she would do anything in the world he could ask but that. But he said he ought to go hang himself, and he must, if he could get a rope, it was nothing but right he should, for he never, never could forgive himself. And then she began to cry, and they both sobbed, the way you could hear him a mile, and she clinging around his neck and pleading, till at last he was comforted a little, and gave his solemn promise he wouldn't hang himself till after the race, and wouldn't do it at all if she won it, which made her happy, and she said she would win it or die in the saddle. So then everything was pleasant again, and both of them content. He can't help playing jokes on her. He is so fond of her, and she is so innocent and unsuspecting. And when she finds it out, she cuffs him, and is in a fury, but presently forgives him because it's him. And maybe the very next day she's caught with another joke. You see, she can't learn any better, because she hasn't any deceit in her and that kind aren't ever expecting it in another person. It was a grand race. The whole post was there, and there was such another whooping and shouting when the seventeen kids came flying down the turf and sailing over the hurdles. Oh, beautiful to see. Halfway down it was kind of neck and neck, and anybody's race, and nobody's. Then what should happen but a cow steps out and puts her head down to munch grass with her broadside to the battalion, and they a-coming like the wind. They split apart to flank her, but she, why, she drove the spurs home and soared over that cow like a bird, and on she went, 
and cleared the last hurdle solitary and alone the army letting loose the grand yell and she skipped from the horse the same as if he had been standing still and made her bow and everybody crowded around to congratulate and they gave her the bugle and she put it to her lips and blew boots and saddles to see how it would go and b b was as proud as you can't think and he said take soldier boy and don't pass him back till i ask for him and i can tell you he wouldn't have said that to any other person on this planet that was two months and more ago and nobody has been on my back since but the corporal general seventh cavalry and flag lieutenant of the ninth dragoon u s a on whom be peace amen i listen uh, tell me more she set to work and organized the sixteen and called it the first battalion rocky mountain rangers u s a and she wanted to be bugler but they elected her lieutenant-general and bugler so she ranks her uncle the commandant who is only a brigadier and doesn't she train those little people ask the indians ask the traders ask the soldiers they'll tell you she has been at it from the first day every morning they go clattering down into the plain and there she sits on my back with her bugle at her mouth and sounds the orders and puts them through the evolutions for an hour or more and it is too beautiful for anything to see those ponies dissolve from one formation into another and waltz about and break and scatter and form again always moving always graceful now trotting now galloping and so on sometimes nearby sometimes in the distance all just like a state ball you know and sometimes she can't hold herself any longer but sounds the charge and turns me loose and you can take my word for it if the battalion hasn't too much of a start we catch up and go over the breastworks with a front line yes they are soldiers those little people and healthy too not ailing any more the way they used to be sometimes it's because of her drill she's got a fort now fort fanny marsh major general tommy drake planned it out and the seventh and dragoons built it tommy is the colonel's son and is fifteen and the oldest in the battalion fanny marsh is brigadier general and is next oldest over thirteen she is daughter of captain marsh company b seventh cavalry lieutenant general allison is the youngest by considerable i think she is about nine and a half or three-quarters her military rig as lieutenant-general isn't for business it's for dress parade because the ladies made it they say they got it out of the middle ages out of a book and it is all red and blue and white silks and satins and velvets tights trunks sword doublet with slashed sleeves short cape cap with just one feather in it i've heard them name these things they got them out of the books she's dressed like a page of old times they say it's the daintiest outfit that ever was you will say so when you see it she's lovely in it oh just a dream in some ways she is just her age but in others she's as old as her uncle i think she is very learned she teaches her uncle his book i have seen her sitting by with the book and reciting to him what is in it so that he can learn to do it himself every saturday she hires little engines to garrison her fort then she lays siege to it and makes military approaches by make-believe trenches in make-believe night and finally at make-believe dawn she draws her sword and sounds the assault and takes it by storm it is for practice 
and she has invented a bugle-call all by herself out of her own head and it's a stirring one and the prettiest in the service it's to call me it's never used for anything else she taught it to me and told me what it says it is i soldier come and when those thrilling notes come floating down the distance i hear them without fail even if i am two miles away and then oh then you should see my heels get down to business and she has taught me how to say good morning and good night to her which is by lifting my right hoof for her to shake and also how to say good-bye i do that with my left foot but only for practice because there hasn't been any but make-believe good-byeing yet and i hope there won't ever be it would make me cry if i ever had to put up my left foot in earnest she has taught me how to salute and i can do it as well as a soldier i bow my head low and lay my right hoof against my cheek she taught me that because i got into disgrace once through ignorance i am privileged because i am known to be honorable and trustworthy and because i have a distinguished record in the service so they don't hobble me nor tie me to stakes or shut me tight in stables but let me wander around to suit myself well trooping the colors is a very solemn ceremony and everybody must stand uncovered when the flag goes by the commandant and all and once i was there and ignorantly walked across right in front of the band which was an awful disgrace ah the lieutenant-general was so ashamed and so distressed that i should have done such a thing before all the world that she couldn't keep the tears back and then she taught me the salute so that if ever i did any other unmilitary act through ignorance i could do my salute and she believed everybody would think it was apology enough and would not press the matter it is very nice and distinguished no other horse can do it often the men salute me and i return it i am privileged to be present when the rocky mountain rangers troop the colors and i stand solemn like the children and i salute when the flag goes by of course when she goes to her fort her sentries sing out turn out the guard and then do you catch that refreshing early morning whiff from the mountain pines and the wild flowers the night is far spent we'll hear the bugles before long dorcas the black woman is very good and nice she takes care of the lieutenant-general and is brigadier general allison's mother which makes her mother-in-law to the lieutenant-general that is what shekel says at least it is what i think he says though i never can understand him quite clearly he who is shackles the seventh cavalry dog i mean if he is a dog his father was a coyote and his mother was a wildcat it doesn't really make a dog out of him does it not a real dog i should think only a kind of a general dog at most i reckon though this is a matter of ichthyology i suppose and if it is it is out of my depth and so my opinion is not valuable and i don't claim much consideration for it it isn't ichthyology it is dogmatics which is still more difficult and tangled up dogmatics always are dogmatics is quite beyond me quite so i am not competing but on general principles it is my opinion that a colt out of a coyote and a wildcat is no square dog but doubtful that is my hand and i stand pat well it is as far as i can go myself and be fair and conscientious i have always regarded him as a doubtful dog 
and so has Potter. Potter is the great Dane. Potter says he is no dog, and not even poultry, though I do not go quite so far as that. And I wouldn't myself. Poultry is one of those things which no person can get to the bottom of. There is so much of it and such variety. It is just wings and wings and wings till you are weary. Turkeys and geese and bats and butterflies and angels and grasshoppers and flying fish and, well, there is really no end to the tribe. It gives me the heaves just to think of it. But this one hasn't any wings, has he? No. Well, then, in my belief he is more likely to be dog than poultry. I have not heard of poultry that hadn't wings. Wings is the sign of poultry. It is what you tell poultry by. Uh, look at the mosquito. What do you reckon he is, then? He must be something. Why, he could be a reptile. Anything that hasn't wings is a reptile. Who told you that? Nobody told me, but I overheard it. Where did you overhear it? Years ago. I was with the Philadelphia Institute expedition in the Badlands under Professor Cope, hunting mastodon bones, and I overheard him say, his own self, that any plantigrade circumflex vertebrate bacterium that hadn't wings and was uncertain was a reptile. Well, then, has this dog any wings? No. Is he a plantigrade circumflex vertebrate bacterium? Maybe so, maybe not. But without ever having seen him, and judging only by his illegal and spectacular parentage, I will bet the odds of a bale of hay to a bran mash that he looks it. Finally, is he uncertain? That is the point. Is he uncertain? I will leave it to you if you have ever heard of a more uncertainer dog than what this one is. No, I never have. Well, then, he's a reptile. That's settled. Why, look here. Uh, what's your name? Last alias Mongrel. A good one, too. I was going to say, you are better educated than you have been pretending to be. I like cultured society, and I shall cultivate your acquaintance. Now, as to shekels, whenever you want to know about any private thing that is going on at this post, or in White Cloud's camp, or Thunderbird's, he can tell you. And if you make friends with him, he'll be glad to, for he is a born gossip and picks up all the tittle-tattle. Being the whole Seventh Cavalry's reptile, he doesn't belong to anybody in particular, and hasn't any military duties. So he comes and goes as he pleases, and is popular with all the house cats and other authentic sources of private information. He understands all the languages, and talks them all, too. With an accent like gritting your teeth, it is true, and with a grammar that is no improvement on blasphemy, still, with practice, you get at the meat of what he says, and it serves. Hark! That's Reveille. The Reveille. Faint and far, but isn't it clear, isn't it sweet? There's no music like the bugle to stir the blood in the still solemnity of the morning twilight, with the dim plains stretching away to nothing and the spectral mountains slumbering against the sky. You'll hear another note in a minute, faint and far and clear, like the other one, and sweeter still, you'll notice. Wait. Listen. There it goes. It says, It is I, soldier, come. Soldier boy's bugle call. Now then, watch me leave a blue streak behind. End of chapter 6